When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to WWD Voices. My name is Arthur Zakowitz, and today we have a special guest host, Sarah Engel, who's the president of January Digital. She'll be joined by uh, Sharonda Weatherspoon, who's the senior vice president of stores at Ralph Lauren, and who's also the co-chair for diversity and inclusion at Ralph Lauren, and Selena Popache, who's the chief digital officer at Ovion. Today, they're going to be discussing women in leadership, change, agility, and the power of connection. Thank you so much, Arthur. We're really excited to be here. Um, I'm thrilled to introduce um, our two panelists today and our uh, my podcast uh, colleagues here. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about these two phenomenal women. Um, first, let me tell you about Salima Popatia. She serves as the Chief Digital Officer of Orvion Global, which is a collective of premium cosmetics brands, including Bare Minerals, Laura Mercier, and Buxom. She is an entrepreneurial executive, has spent over 20 years building digital brands, customer-first strategies. 14 of those years, she was focused on the digital beauty at Estee Lauder companies. She's a consumer data expert. She focuses uh, extensively on performance and CRM marketing channels and that type of growth. Um, She has been everything from a founder to, um, you know, a growth advocate for some of the largest brands in the world. She's worked for marquee brands, Mac Cosmetics, Stuart Weitzman, Ray-Ban. If you have not heard her name yet, you certainly will. She's a truth teller, an advocate for those around her, and honestly, one of my most trusted industry colleagues. Thank you so much for being here, Salima. I'm so excited, and wow, what an intro. Thank you. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) you got to rewrite my bio. (laughs) All two things. And Sharonda Weatherspoon, I'm so excited to introduce you also to Sharonda Weatherspoon. Um, She's the Senior Vice President of Stores at Ralph Lauren and the Co-Chair for the Diversity and Inclusion Efforts at Ralph Lauren. She is a dynamic, performance-driven leader. She has over 25 years in the retail industry. She's an accomplished executive with a reputation for really driving results and profitability through high-performing teams. More than anything, I've come to know Sharonda and deeply respect her as an inspirational leader who really believes in working with her team members to bring about sustainable solutions, who believes in being a champion for others, and who really believes in the power of customer experiences. Um, I'm thrilled to have you both here. Thank you, Sharonda. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here as well. Well, and thank you to Women's Wear Daily team for really opening this conversation. Um, the fact that they prioritize women in leadership and this conversation about change, agility, the power of connection. Um, it is a really important topic and when we really appreciate that platform as well. So first of all, I'm gonna start by um, talking a little bit about our careers. Let, let's just kind of get into kind of how we got where we are and, and what's important to us. So. Um, Sharonda, you're one of the most senior, most successful women in the entire industry, especially as it pertains to physical retail. Can you tell us a little bit about that path, that journey, and and why kind of physical retails and powerful teams has meant so much to you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, my journey started, um, I've actually been in the industry now for over 25 years. I started in stores. Um, I absolutely love stores. And um, I was a general manager for quite some time, really being able to lead and develop, you know, large teams as well as be able to drive sales, motivate people, uh, focus on the operations. From there, I became a district director. Um, was in that role for a little while where I was managing a group of stores. Then I had the great fortune of transitioning into a human resources role where I was responsible for um, a lot of different things in that whole entire HR aspect, whether it was org design, uh, ER issues, labor law, um, and really ensuring that we were starting to look at how our teams were really showing up and also looking at things like engagement and enablement. From human resources, I transitioned into operations. From operations, I was promoted a few different times and then I ran operations and communications. And then I'm in the role that I'm in now running stores. And I, I take you through that path just to say, sometimes people have this mindset that we're just gonna do one thing. And the reality is that I think when I look at some of the leaders that I really you know, look up to or that I admire, they've actually done a lot of different things. And I think being able to do a lot of different things and not just thinking about a career path as you know, straight up and down or vertical, but sometimes thinking about it as also being across and trying new things so that way you are really rounding out your skill set is really important. And I think it's something that we don't always pay probably enough attention to um, today. I think people think they're going to just stay in one area the whole entire time without necessarily understanding, you know, the fact that I feel like I'm a better leader today is because I've had HR experience. I've had operations experience. I've spent a lot of time really getting to know what drives and motivates people. And all of those experiences have come together pretty nicely in the role that I'm in now. I, I love that part of your story. And I don't know that I knew about the HR element. It makes so much sense because I've, I've seen the, um, the power and the connection of your teams. And it makes so much sense. And, and Salima, your background too, I think that um, what Sharonda said is so true about you, that the way in which you've done different things in this industry, you've been a founder, you've led at some of the biggest beauty companies in the world. So Tell us, I guess, why Orvion, why this opportunity to kind of accelerate something, build something meant, you know, why was that right for you right now? Um, great question. And, you know, it's something that, that my husband keeps asking me. He's like, are you sure you want to leave Estee Lauder when I decided to take this jump and go into startup world and PE world? Um, and, and still some people still ask me and, and I know I made the right decision. Um, and it was a time where, you know, when you grow and you, your role becomes kind of more of an expert than actually a practitioner or daily hands-on, there is something that's missing about being really scrappy and, and getting into the weeds of things. And that's what was missing for me. And when I decided to, to take a leap of faith and go into a startup mode. But the beauty of Orvion is it's a collective of these three brands, Bare Minerals, Buxom, Laura Mercier, 
beautiful heritage brands, right, that um, that are in a startup mode. And when do you get to do that? When do you get to come in and redesign um, journeys, customer experiences, technology? We get to redesign the technology. There's no technology debt here. Um, so that was what was super exciting to me, that I can help build or rebuild and re-engage with consumers um, in a very different way, in a very modern way. And that is what Orvion is doing. And it's changing beauty in a very different way. And, and even the cultural, um, the culture of the, of the company, you know, the values, dark honesty, solidarity, those are things that resonated with me. Um, and and um, what we like to call it is a human-sized company. And that is really amazing when you think about it, because these are these mega brands that have, you know, millions of customers who love them. But we're a human-sized company, and we get to do things and build things, and it's so rewarding. Um, so I'm super excited in being in this role, and I get to touch creative, customer acquisition, um, e-commerce and digital experience, and PR and social influencer. So it's a 360 journey of a consumer um, and, and kind of build it again. And so it's amazing. I love it. I love it. And it's interesting. I think we all have, have that type of experience over the last couple of decades that we've all been doing this. Um, I spent about half my career on the brand side and the other half in agency consulting retail tech, right? And people will often say, which do you like better? Which make?" And the answer is all of those things lead to the right next outcome, right? Had I not been on the brand so side true. during the beginning of COVID, you know, in this really intense time, would I now be able to have a conversation with any sense of, you know, um, understanding and empathy, for those of you who, you know, we're having to have your stores closed and you're trying to mm -hmm. figure out what to do with your teams. I think there is a element of each of these experiences. And I think about the young, you know, our younger kind of up and comers who are listening to this podcast of try it all, you know, raise your hand, you know, they you talk about lean in, but lean into the opportunity, even within your own company to say, I want to learn that. I want to try that out. So, um, I was going to say, Sharonda, I know you've uh, you've done so much guidance, so much coaching with folks as it re in regards to that, or your you know kind of your thoughts on on the hand raising, on the self advocating. Yeah, it's so interesting because very early in my career, I don't know if I felt comfortable being a self advocate. It almost felt very showy, you know, a little bit cocky. It wasn't something that I was really accustomed to, and. Then I got to a place where I said, you know, because the mindset was more or less like if I work really hard, my hard work is going to speak for itself. And I think for a large degree, my hard work did uh, speak for itself. But then there came a point where I had to start saying, um, this is what I'm working on or this is what I'm doing. And how do I get to know other people within the organization? How do I also get to know people outside of the organization? And um, I know we're going to talk about like sponsorship and mentorship, but that was a key part. Like uh, a lot of it deals with how do you really raise your hand? I, I talk to young people all the time. And one of the things that I'm constantly telling them is that, you know, if you want to get noticed, one of the biggest things that you have to do is also sign up for the assignments that other people don't want to do. Um, so if ever there's a tough assignment, I want to be the person who's taken on that tough assignment, um, because I've actually had an opportunity to work with teams that I wouldn't have normally worked with, even in my role, because I've taken on assignments that are outside of, let's say, what I would consider my normal scope. And that's really helped me to have sponsors within our organization. When I think about moving from a store to a district director, that kind of like feels like a natural progression. But when I think about going from stores to human resources, 
that's not the natural career path. And because I had a sponsor, because I had someone who really believed in me, he said, this is what we're doing. We're putting you into this role. And then one, from that role, then I had another sponsor in the organization that said, it's time for you to go back to being more responsible for P&L responsibilities. So we're moving you to operations. Um, and in some of these cases, I was like, oh my gosh, am, am I even qualified to do this? Especially with the leap from stores to human resources. I was like, okay, are you sure you want me? Am I really the person who can do this? Because I didn't know a lot about labor law. I didn't know a lot about the different um, laws within every single state. But the reality is that when I talked to the sponsor who was really encouraging me to take this leap of faith, it was more about the things that I did know and how my brain worked and how I focused on leadership and how I learned. And I will tell you, some of that experience really helps me today. So I think it's this combination of, you know, raise your hand, um, you know, jump in there, get to know as many people as you can. And most importantly, when other people don't want to take on the, on the tough assignments, that's where you get an opportunity to shine. I love that advice. It's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal advice. Um, Salima, you have, uh, you and I've talked a lot about this, uh, both the concept of the championship or advocacy or sponsorship over only mentorship. Uh, but also that that strive for perfection. I just heard Sharon to say, you know, am I the right person? Yes. You know, so I, we've had long talks about this. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that for you. Oh God, yeah. You know, it's funny because I even say this with my kids. Like, I'm like, am I? like I'm responsible for you. Like this is like, it's, it's a heavy responsibility. Right. And it's crazy. Um, and, and, and there is a, a level of like, can I do it? Um, and I, and, and I'd love what you said, Chandra, because there is this thing of sponsorship. I've had some amazing mentors and sponsors. Um, and I think that's so important for you to not only know that you can do it, but then how do you pay that forward? So, mm -hmm. you know, I love the advice that you give people to, to raise your hands for the assignment. I try to think about it from my leadership style and, and trying to be as inclusive as possible and have not just my direct reports, but their direct reports and their direct reports. So when we have conversations and, and we pick on people and make them, you know, answer things, because that's how my boss raised me too. He like my sponsors put me on the spot and, and made me do things that were uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that is goes to the question of when you ask yourself, am, can I do this role? Am I qualified for it? There's that level of being uncomfortable, that's actually beautiful. And yeah. it's its because you're changing and you're adapting. And I tell people you have to be uncomfortable. When you get bored, you have to make yourself uncomfortable. You have to do that next thing because that's when you are going to um, change, learn, grow. And, and it's, it's getting through that. And then you get to a great spot. And then you do it again and again um, as you grow. But yes, it is, it is, um, it's an interesting thing of always questioning whether you um, are qualified enough. And, and I'll tell you, we are. We're qualified to do anything. And I also look at this in the, the people that I try to hire. Um, I don't want that perfect resume. I don't want the person who's done it all. Um, and what I try to tell people is well, where we're going hasn't been defined yet, especially in the tech space, in the digital space, and the experiences. So I want people who have the right attitude, who can do it, who are excited by a challenge, um, because we're going to build something that hasn't been built before. So it's almost about that entrepreneurship over a resume that's fully stacked and, and, and locked and loaded. So um, it's a mix, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I think the... Um, that drive for perfectionism. I, I, one thing we've talked a lot about, and I'll just go ahead and go there, which is, you know, 
do you believe that women network differently at this point, even versus four or five years ago, that um, this, the concept of sponsorship is more understood? I, I could tell you two or three, four very specific instances where somebody spoke my name when I wasn't in the room, where they introduced me, where they, you know, that is, that is sponsorship. That takes effort. And then now it's my responsibility to pay that back. And so I guess, you know, one question I have is, is it that we're all having this very honest, very authentic conversation? And certainly the three of us do, but but I, I think all of us are in a much broader way right now than even, you know, pre-COVID. Is that because this drive for perfectionism is, uh, we're over it, we're done with that, we've done it, we know that we can? Is it because, um, you know, is it for some other reason? Have we been in these roles long enough now that we know that empathy, that leading with empathy actually gets you where you need to go? Like, what do you think about the way in which women especially connect and, and the way in which we sponsor one another? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one first. Um, I think it's a combination. But I want to take us back a few years because, as you know, I'm putting also on my DEI hat. Um, in many of our roles, there weren't a lot of us. So let's just like state that because, right. you know, there's a reason why we talk about things like gender parity. Um, so, you know, five, six years ago, in many cases, women were walking into rooms where they were the only one. And in many cases now, today, there's still this sense of I might be the only one. I might not be the only woman, but I might be the only woman of color. Um, so I think it has almost forced us to network in a much different way. I think um, prior to COVID, there was still probably some of this mindset of, you know, superwoman. I think COVID taught us all that we are not super anything and that, you know, the reality is that we are all human. We are all normal. And we have to make sure that we are doing what we can do and not necessarily trying to do everything in this pursuit of perfection. I think perfection, I used to suffer from, you know, trying to be perfect, you know, trying to be, make sure that, you know, if I wasn't, I always felt this whole stigma that if I wasn't perfect, then people wouldn't hire people that looked like me or people wouldn't give other people chances. And, and it's not to say that I don't have some of that today, but it's not to the degree that it was previously when I may have been the only one in many cases. And that's why I think it's encouraging to see, you know, women doing really great things. I know personally, I feel very comfortable reaching out. I usually start from a place of, I probably am not the smartest person on this topic. So let me really start from a place of reaching out, whether it's internal in my own company or to a lot of the amazing people and women that I've met in the industry. I make it a focus to try to attend events where I know that there's gonna be a lot of women because I found that they have really helped to open doors. And when you talk about, I think about last year, I was invited to speak at so many different venues um, because someone passed my name along or they had met me and they said, well, you might want to get Sharonda um, to do this. And it was really a very humbling experience because many times I don't think about myself like that, but the fact that like other women were speaking my name or telling, you know, other women that they should connect with me or giving me other women to connect with. Um, it's just been a very beautiful I mean, I don't know how else to describe it, except it's been very beautiful and it's been very welcoming. And I find that it's really helping me, especially at this stage of my career. 
I love that. And what love makes me smile answer. is that you are, you are that person. You're my, like, I know she knows better. I know she knows the answer. <laughs> so you are my escalation point of the smartest one in the room, just for the record. Um, <laughs> um, Salima, I would love, I, you've told me all about woo, which I'm excited for you to share. You've deeply worked, um, you know, on the um, areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tell us a little bit about how that looks within your network and also about woo. Yes. So the woo is the women of Orvion. And so there are um, the executive team. Um, there's four women. It was created by um, Diane Kim, who is the brand president of Laura Mercier. And as soon as I joined, I was one of the last executive um, team members that joined. Um, they quickly got me on the WhatsApp and said, you're now part of woo. I'm like, what is woo? And it was it's literally the, the women of Orvion. And we have our little crew. We have our little clique. Um, and it's funny when we when we go anywhere, we all sit together together, you know, and our, our, my boss, our, the CEO is always trying to pull us apart. And he's like, boy, girl, boy, girl, please. And we're like, no, the woo sits together, sticks together. Um, but it's really powerful to have, you know, th this band of women. When I left Estee Lauder, I had that same band of women and, and we're on a group text and we're trying to navigate a new world. You know, I was at um, Estee Lauder for seven years before I left and in a, in a place of comfort and I knew everyone and going into this new leadership role where, you know, when you're questioning, can I do this? And, and I had um, fellow um, colleagues that left and went into brand president roles with new startups. And so we were all kind of in this position as women in leadership positions. And we have this text message. And whenever anyone texts, we're quick to answer. So quick to answer because we got each other's back and we're learning and we're sharing everything from um, a recommendation for an agency or this or to how should I navigate the situation and sometimes it's just having that person have your back but ha to be able to talk to um, that is not in the company but that's outside of the company that knows you um, and that knows the challenges that you have um, and I love the the fact that you brought up DEI you know I'm a woman of color and and my, in my entire crew there's like you know different women and that is so important because that diversity um, it brings different points of view, but it also allows us to have the conversation that we need to have, get answers back, real answers, truth answers that, that you can then go and, and um, figure out what you need to do. Right. So that that's my um, that's my crew. And now I have one in my company and now I have my friends that are outside the company and, and that really help sponsor, I think, women. And, and it's different. I, I you know, I, I have to say growing up especially in beauty, you know, we saw women as competition. You came in, we dressed for the women. We didn't dress for the men. You know, you came in with your high heels, your makeup on, right? And, and COVID changed that because I'm like, I'm in a sweatshirt now. You know, I know the listeners can't see us, but um, all of that kind of pretense went out the door, right? So, and I love the fact that you said, you know, superwoman, like trying to do everything. And, and I think coming out of the other side of COVID, um, it was hard. It's still hard. You know, it's still hard. And I love... Um, the CEO always tells us, you know, and I keep trying to have this work-life balance. And, and I was talking to him one day and I'm like, well, I'm trying to balance and have the find the perfect balance. And he's like, it's not about balance. He's like, it's about integration. And I think that's something that COVID did. It's like, if I need to go pick up my kids, I'm not making up a story or saying, you know, blocking out my calendar or telling my assistant to lie for me. I'm like, got to go pick up the kids and I'll be back in 30 minutes. And it's okay where it wasn't okay before, you know, and I think that's the, you know, that's the permission we have now, but it's not only about picking up the kids. If I want to go work out for my mental health in the middle of the day, cause that works for me. 
Um, that's integration of, of work life. That's balance. That's the only way it's going to work now. It's not perfection. It's and you're never going to find the perfect balance. You have to integrate, right? And that to me is um, an amazing thing that we have to keep doing. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about this whole balance thing because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of times that we actually struggle with this to some degree. And that was one of the things that, you know, I thought was really great about COVID. But I remember, right, you know, we had something that we were doing at work where we were doing these yoga uh, classes in the middle of the day. And it's so interesting because, you know, at certain levels, no one actually felt like they could just take off and do a yoga class. But there was one day I was literally having like a mental meltdown. And I said, I am going to take this yoga class. And guess what? I'm going to put it on my out of office. So I literally on my out, I put an out of office on. I said, I am not going to be able to respond to any emails within the next hour. I am taking a yoga class and I will respond to all messages that are urgent right after the yoga class. And I love that. I mean, it was it was so impactful because people were getting my out of office. So then I joined my meeting after my yoga class and everyone's like, well, I'm pretty sure you've had a very good Zen moment now, now that you like taking yoga. And, you know, what started off as a joke because it was like during the middle of the day really became to a large extent permission to be able to have these time periods where you really are taking some time for yourself. And we all know ourselves best. So we know when we've, we're really at our limit. And before, I would say prior to COVID, I don't know if I would have just, you know, literally you would almost had to miss a meeting to be able to take a moment like that. But it literally opened up something different for us. And people were like, oh my gosh, I can take a yoga class during the middle of the day. I was like, you can do whatever you need to do. So that way you can really stay in a place where you're going to be able to come back and be the best version of you that you can be. I love that. What's so beautiful about that, too, is not only did you decide and this is a moment of I'm going to uh, extend myself some grace. You also used your position of power to be able to make it OK for everybody else. You basically said to them, it is a priority. Your mental health is important, you know, and, and would they have felt comfortable to do that had they not seen you do it, literally living it by example? Mm hmm. Um, I, it's interesting. I, I was also thinking about the, the the men and the allies in our lives. I mean, each of us, as we were talking about sponsors, I think each of us at one point said he, right? And so I think too about the the you know people around us and the the ways in which. And I think about you know Arthur, the executive editor here, where it's like this this conversation is important. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have it and make sure that you have the microphone. Like there is. There's so much sponsorship and power in that and in our social circles. I also think about um, when I, you know, early on was trying to figure out how to negotiate something in a contract when I went from a public company to a private company type of thing. Who did I call? Uh, you know, I called the white guy who had the answers and who cared <laughs> enough to say to me, you can ask for this. You need to ask for that. Ask to see this first. Right. And so I think like us taking that forward to to the women in our circles is is really important. And it's something that we all prioritize. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um how you have seen, you know, things change from a consumer perspective. I'm going to pivot a little bit to say um, both of you are in very unique roles where you are getting constant customer feedback in very different ways, you know, from a digital perspective versus physically in stores. 
you know, what are you seeing right now in early 23 is the challenges from a consumer perspective or the challenges that you kind of see coming up over the next year from a retail apparel and beauty perspective? Yeah, I would say um, when I think about it from a retail perspective, um, during COVID, I think a lot of companies figured out very quickly how to go what I would consider semi-digital. Um, they weren't fully digital, but they literally worked to figure it out very quickly. Um, lots of companies had to understand like curbside and all these different ways and consumer journeys to really talk to the consumer and really be able to get, you know, goods in you know, her or his uh, hands. Yeah. I think as I'm thinking about the future, I think one of the big challenges that we're going to face is how do we continue to take friction out of the process? Um, how do we continue to really advance some of those things that we did very well in COVID and did very fast? But now how do we really perfect them? And I think that there's a lot of places where people have perfected them, but things like curbside, depending on what industry you're in, it's really important or not as important. But even as things are going more digital, you know, what does that now look like, especially when you want to also have this digital and also store experience? So I think these are probably some of the things that I, I think we really have to be very mindful of and also making sure that we have a workforce that can be knowledgeable on both because there's nothing worse than wherever your journey is starting as a consumer for the person that they wind up getting on the phone not to be able to answer their question because the person on the phone doesn't care that you started on the website, doesn't care that you started in stores. Whoever they get, they want them to be able to be able to solve their problem or answer their question. And I think being able to make sure that our workforce is really able to take care of that is going to be one of the bigger challenges that we will we will face. So I'm going to pivot the, the question a little bit. And I think it, less than the challenges that I see consumers um, with the consumer experience or the consumer in retail or digital, for me, there's a lot of white space opportunity. So it's not about the challenges that we're going to, I, we're going to run into as a business, but more so in rebuilding brands um, and coming back in and reestablishing uh, a relationship with consumers. You know, these were big brands um, that had amazing relationships. And in some cases, we need to bring back the relevancy of the brand. And that is a really hard thing to do in getting consumers to trust you again. Um, and the stark honesty that you have to have in your approach. And to me, that's a really big challenge that I have, I personally have. And how do I, how do I communicate or how do we as a company, as a brand, communicate with the consumers to be able to live up to the the Orvian values of stark honesty, you know, solidarity. We're we're changing beauty for for the better. It's really a huge mission statement. So I feel the weight of that, but also we need to put it into practice in, in the company, right? And and when we think about what's happening, you know, the challenges of the world like climate change, all these things, sustainability, these are real things. Um, and as a small human company, we're not going to make big impact on those, but we can make very meaningful impact in the way we do business or we can be disruptive because we do something differently. Um, and that's something that, you know, we're building out right now. But again, to, to communicate to that to the consumer in a way that's meaningful to her is, is a big challenge in, in breaking through the clutter and being meaningful and having a different kind of conversation. 
So that, you know, if you want to help me with there. Yeah. So we've got a lot of work to do. My questions, actually. One path is um, how, for both of you, again, such unique and different perspectives. For both of you, how do you measure, how do you understand whether that is resonating with customers? Right. Are there are there new ways in doing that or are the older methods still reliable? Can you still get it from the data, from social listening, from associates? Like, is it still piecing those pieces together or is there a new way in which you feel like you have a faster channel to understand whether something's resonating with customers? I'm I'm happy to take this. Being in the digital world, I hear right away when consumers are not happy. Um, You know, we have. We've got it on social, you know, and when community management, especially with our brands, especially with beauty, beauty is about community and and women love to talk about beauty. So you will see them coming in into communities. They'll come on the site. They'll tell you in ratings and reviews. They'll tell you wherever they can, if they like you, if they hate you, if you, God forbid, you discontinue a shade they love. You would hear the feedback loud and clear. Like, so we have no problem. Yeah. Um, But to your point, right. What our motto is, we need to answer that consumer. We need to answer every consumer in the, in the right way because that's where we build these meaningful relationships, right? So it's not about the, the, the feedback is there and, and the um, results are there and even the conversations are there with the consumer. Um, it's how do we build it so that it's two ways and that it continues to progress. And, it, and it's not just that one conversation. There's going to be many conversations. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And Sharonda, I have a question for you too that kind of came out of these past few um, conversations that we've been having. You know, Ed, you talked about curbside pickup, you know, fast, free, everything that we did early COVID because we had to and we had to do it overnight and we threw as much money and resources after it as we could. Now, how do you sort through that? Meaning, what does your unique customer want? There is a margin impact of throwing, you know, of, of everything being a yes. Um, So I'd be interested to know kind of how you look at that, how you look at the balance of, all right, what does the customer really want now? What is he or she willing to pay for? What's the most important? Like, what does that process look like for for you personally? Yeah, so I think, you know, there's no lack of feedback. So a lot of times we get feedback and a lot of, I mean, literally there is no lack of feedback and ours might even be faster than the digital because people will just come into a location and tell us, um, which is, which is exactly. I mean, I always say feedback is a gift. It just depends on how you want to accept it at, at that time. But, you know, I think that the, the biggest thing that I think about is really this whole concept of, testing and learning. Um, There are definitely a lot of ways that we are looking at, you know, continuing down, you know, one vein because our consumer is showing that he or she really appreciates this type of service. But I think the, the future is going to be, how do we test? How do we learn? How do we try some different things? Because what was important to consumers during COVID may not be as important Uh, right now, depending on the demographic or the community or the community size. Um, So I think that's one of the ways that, you know, I think about it. And, you know, this whole concept with, you know what, in this market, we're going to test these four services because we want to just put our foot in the water and just see if consumers are happy about it or what type of feedback they're giving us. And then we'll make some decisions as to, if we want to go further with them or, you know, expand our testing, you know, to another market. So I think that there's this whole 
portion around that that I think companies have got to really make sure that they're making time for, making room for, resources for, because that's the only way that you're going to continue to really advance your business model. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to nerd out now because it's one of my favorite subjects. But I think the infrastructure for testing is as important as anything, especially over the last few years. But I'm looking at just use an example of, you know, media mix diversification. And can I keep spending this much money on Meta and Google and getting you know less results? And But the, the point is, if you don't have testing infrastructure in place, if you haven't all agreed, what does success even look like? We're going to run these two things, you know, simultaneously. One's a win, one's a loss. The loss goes away. The win you, you, you know, invest more into. Like the infrastructure for testing, I think, became um, a muscle that I am excited. I think, it, I think that muscle got really exercised over the last few years. And so you see things happening so much more quickly. I, I guess a question to you all is then, the, you know, everything's about agility, flexibility. We got to move fast. We got to. Can that become a bad word, a dirty word for teams? Does it start to mean lack of direction, lack of clarity? Um, and I guess how do you how do you tackle that with your teams? Testing and learning versus, you know, constant agility means you know I feel like I'm blowing in the wind. Salima, you look like you know. <laughs> yeah, I, like I I I love this question, and you know. You get into a place, especially like you use media because it's it's a great point. Everyone's always looking for um, value creation in media, and they come to media first. How do we do better media with higher results, less money? I'm like, that's the holy grail that well, you know, that everyone's chasing. And it, it's it's interesting because in beauty, it's really about not. We talk about media like it's it's so transactional, and when we talk about the media, and you actually see the media and the way it resonates with the consumer, it's the creative. Creative is the answer, not like trying to get like better, you know, ROIs or better like pricing. Everything's programmatic. You're you're bidding on everything, right? So it's not like I can work down that rate card. But what I can do is I can do amazing and beautiful creative that's going to resonate with some consumer in that moment. And if I do a lot of that, I'm going to touch consumers in a in a meaningful way and they can you know purchase in that moment and be able to get that gratifying experience that is the holy grail i think of and that's a conversation that's actually not happening everyone's trying to get better rates every better pricing better roi but i don't see people trying to do better creative or even talking to me in a way that's meaningful to me so a lot of you know a lot of how we think about it is is a little bit of the data the insights but also trying to do a lot of stuff that's like a lot of messaging stuff how do you use a creative dynamic like optimizer to be able to give lots of different messages and then see what resonates and what works um, and to me that's where you get the magic and and to, and and it's something that I, I think we just scratched the surface on but it's something that i'm super excited about and i think that's more meaningful than trying to get um you know the right technology in place to to get lower prices i guess it was like full circle moment it's back to you know your point about authenticity if you're not communicating yes. with me if that creative does not resonate with what you know about me because I know that you know this about me as a customer. Same thing from a store perspective, Sharonda. If, like, if you're not, you know, if I'm in here repeatedly, you know who I am, you know what I care about, you know that, you know, whether it's a size or a style or whatever the case may be, I expect you to use that information in a way that is meaningful to me, that is authentic. And when you don't, it feels like a, a betrayal of my trust. Um, you know, not to over-exaggerate it, but right, it, it, that's really kind of where we're at. I don't know if you find that to be true, Sharonda. Yeah, I think that that is definitely true. But I also want to go back to your question on agility, too, because I don't think that agility is a bad word. Um, and I think to what degree our teams are agile will help us in many ways. Um, Salima actually started off by talking about, 
you know, some of the skills. And I think when we start to really think about the skills that are needed in a role, I think it just helps you to be a lot more to have that level of agility. So when I think about, not that I want to keep on talking about COVID, but one of the great things about COVID is that we had different people working together and they were not necessarily in their role. Um, They had to really work and give input on marketing and stores and operations. And that really showcased how agile we could be because no one's just one thing. Um, So when I think about agility, I think our teams are going to need to be agile. I don't think that they're going to have the luxury of just working on one thing. But I also think that it requires that we're looking at different skills. um, So that way we can kind of like move and ebb and flow because our customers are not staying the same. So I don't think it's just change for change sake as much as it is. Customers are constantly changing. You get different data points all the time. So really determining how you're looking at the trends and really how you stay in front of the trends are really going to help. And that's why I think this whole concept of these agile teams are going to be really important. All right. So I think we're going to start wrapping things up. Thank you both so much. I uh, There's so much that you said today that I think will mean a lot to folks listening, but also will uh, meant a lot to me, right? That thinking through this lens of sponsorship, the constant feedback loop with our customers, the test and learn and the infrastructure of that. Um, Sharonda has declared agility is not a bad word. So now we know. Uh, and I And I just think in general, we're done with perfect. We're done. We're ready to be authentic. We're ready to try it all. We're ready to make sure that we can tap into the people around us who we trust and who we believe in. And we're going to say each other's name when we're not in the room. So like we're done with perfects. If that's my headline, <laughs> um, what, I guess you want to share one last thought. What's, what's your headline? What do you want to make sure that the folks listening uh, hear from you today? Salima, if you maybe want to go first. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, be authentic always. I think it's, it's, um, powerful in any way, whether it's communication, which I talked a lot about, but just in, in being yourself. Um, and it's okay to not know. So instead of not being just perfect, I don't have the answer. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, that's okay. And, um, I think that's the beauty of, of where we are now after COVID. Um, so be authentic. I love it. Sharonda. Yeah, I like this whole notion of, you know, agile is not a bad word. But the other thing I would also say is, you know, just be in this place of constantly being curious. And I think if you start from a place of curiosity, then you're going to ask questions. You're not going to assume. And if you do assume, you're always going to assume positive intent. But being curious really helps us to also understand who else we might need to bring in the room who else might be able to help us to solve an issue or a problem? Um, so just stay curious and ask lots of questions. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Arthur and the Women's Wear Daily team for having us. Like, I have loved this conversation. I adore you both. And thank you so much.